This morning, I want us to continue in our, in our series that we took a hiatus from last week, and we wanted to focus on how the Lord allows for change in our lives, but He is the ever-present, ever-faithful God, as we've been singing about, and we're going to jump back into this series, so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 19, we'll start there, but before you guys get over there as you're turning... I just remember myself one day back in 2008. I found myself sitting in Cambridge Probate and Family Court. Sitting in that room that's been there for a while, just 22 years old, looking around, and there I was standing before a judge in my very own divorce proceeding. And never had I imagined what the, you know, I've seen it in movies and stuff and on TV, but never had I personally sat there one day and said, let me imagine what the inside of a court looks like. Let me really like consider what the paint's going to look like and what the, 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 the seats and the benches and how the judge is going to look and none of that stuff. I never imagined being inside of a courtroom. I hadn't imagined that one day I'd see my name next to a docket number and realize that that was going to be my case. And yet there I was, 2008, 22 years old. My marriage was over and now the formalities of just doing what needed to be done was being completed. How could this be? How, how did I, I get here? And obviously there's a lot of answers to that question. But just thinking about that, sure, we had gotten off to a bad start. But couples with greater challenges have, have withstood a lifetime together, have, have endured and, and overcome and, you know, cherished and, and celebrated a lifetime together. So surely our, our bad start wasn't just that. And like many couples, we also shared, you know, incredible common ground. And one of the biggest and greatest was our faith in Jesus Christ, which was a very different experience from all my previous relationships. And prior, you know, um, as I contemplated that moment, how did I get here? I'm, I'm thinking prayer ha has been part of our marriage, has been part of my life. Like, I prayed for my spouse. I prayed for my home. I prayed for our future. Certainly, there's been men and women who are praying for us. Like, there's others who are praying for this thing. And so, you know, I held on to that promise that the psalmist said in Psalms 50, verse 15, that call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Like, I, I rest on this, right? And I'm believing this. And yet, here I am in divorce court. Here I am before a judge, frustrated, angry, confused, absolutely disappointed, embarrassed, ashamed, feeling like there is no hope and this is my lot. And in full transparency, okay, because I, I, I've heard that we should be transparent when we go to church, Amen. In full transparency, in that moment, I felt as if God no longer was hearing my prayers. God, you're no longer hearing my prayers. I felt like I got disconnected at some point. No longer are you hearing. Somehow, like, we're disconnected, kind of like one of those drop calls. Have you ever experienced any of those? You know, you're there on the phone. You're yapping away. You're, you're telling them about all the details, and you're going, you know, deep into the, into the situation, and you're explaining your case and your point and all of this stuff with emotion, with, with and, and, you know, and you're there talking, and then all of a sudden you come to realize that, you know what, there's no one else on the other line. Anybody had that happen before? You know, whether you hit a dead zone or, you know what, your battery, which you thought was, you know, full, has been depleted or the other person somehow got into a bad zone or whatever other reason. 
and now the call is dropped, and there's no one else on the line. It's just you. And I felt like my calls for my marriage had seemed to have gotten dropped. My calls have been dropped. Have you ever felt like God is no longer listening? Is there anyone brave enough to say yes or no? (laughs) Have you ever felt like God is no longer listening? Have you wondered, does he truly hear me? Does he hear me? Like, yes, I've heard that he's a God who hears. You know, Hagar named her son Ishmael, for God heard. Like, yes, I've heard about this, but you know what? Does he really hear me? And, And if I'm inclined to say yes, that God does hear me, explain then why are there unanswered prayers? You know, explain to me divorce and, and the death and, and the dem- demotion and the disease and the disaster and the delay and the depression. Explain to me these things if God truly does answer prayer. And, and, and if he does answer prayer, then explain me this one further. If he does, then why is there very little praying going on? If we truly, like, believed with all of our hearts, all of our emotions, and we, like, you know, hook, line, and sinker said, God answers my prayers, then wouldn't it be hard for us to do anything else but pray? I find that we'd be praying all the time. Like, like I just want to have, hold on, I'm, I'm just, I'm in the middle of a conversation with the Lord. He's just awesome, you know? And we'd be going on, like, hey, I, I, you want to go do this? Yeah, yeah, but let's do this while we, hey, God, we're going to go do this. And we start praying and just, you know, we would be doing that a lot more often if we truly gravitated toward this belief. And this morning, I'd like to explore these questions and look at a situation and a person in this series that we've been looking at, Our Forever God. And we've talked about how God is forever speaking, how God was forever seeing, and we've seen these things in the last couple of weeks. But today I want us to just look at this because in this story, in Second Kings chapter 19, we'll go into chapter 20, we see a man, Hezekiah, who encountered God as a God who was able to answer these questions. And he was a man who encountered God in this fashion. And I believe that if we look at his experience, that we can learn a few things. As we go through his story and understand this, this text, I believe that it's going to challenge us to let go of some of our doubts, and it's going to challenge us to pray that we are moved to action, that we will be compelled into activity, into into preparing ourselves in a way in which we can experience this forever hearing God. Amen? 2 Kings chapter 19. Let's jump in right here to verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter. From the hand of the messengers, and it read something. These are the messengers of the Assyrian king Sennacherib, who was pretty much a tyrannical dictator who was taking over the scene in the known world. Egypt was no longer the powerhouse of the day. Now the Assyrian Empire was in power, or you could call them the superpower. These guys had the control. They were subjugating kingdoms. They were dominating peoples, and they were not kind. So much so that if you were to read about Jonah, you know, Jonah was one of the prophets that was sent to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah did not want to go to that place because he was, did not want to allow those people to experience the mercies of God because they were brutal. 
They would put bits and, and, and nails and, and um, hooks in people's mouths and noses and pull them as slaves. They were absolutely torturous. So you open up your mail, and a letter from that tyrannical dictator is right there for you and is addressed to you and your people. Anybody here saying, yeah, please, I want to read this letter? So he receives this letter from the hand of the messengers, and it read, and read it, sorry. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Now jump to chapter 21 and go down to, to verse 1. It says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. Oh, wow. Great news all around. Great news. You will surely die and shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sights. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the insight to include this text in the canon of scriptures. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what lays before us, no matter the letters that are on our tables, or the situations that we find ourselves confused, angry, frustrated, perplexed, I pray that you would speak to us in this truth, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. First things first, let's just get the elephant out of the prayer room that we all tend to, you know, bring in. Uh, in our prayer rooms, we tend to bring in this elephant, and it just sits there, and it overcrowds everything, and we have this perception. We know that God has not promised to shelter his people from the ordinary hurts of life. Can I get an amen? Amen. So these are not punishments when they do, in fact, show up in our lives. It's irrational for us to ask why and start saying, you know what, how come this is happening? What's going on? Although that is the natural tendency that we do. We go into this mode. And so the reality is we get old. The reality is that there's only two people in all the Bible that did not die. The reality is that taxes will come. The reality is that challenges will be part of this world. Cancer might impact some faithful men and women, as it will impact others who never knew the Lord. It's just a reality that we will, at points in our lives, be treated unfairly. It's a reality that we may even be fired for no cause. 
There is just the reality that hurts come into the lives of every person. So if things like this did not happen, you know, stop and think about this. This place would not be big enough to have all the people that would show up saying, I need to sign up to become a Christian. Let's just be honest. There there would be no space in our churches ever. In the church universal, there would be not enough space in order to contain all the people if God sheltered us from every hurt that life could send our way. It's just the reality. And we pay lip service to this, but uh, even the best Christians deny it. When our children are well, when, you know, our jobs are going good, when our bodies are healthy and things are all lining up, you know what? It's very easy in that moment to praise the Lord. Amen? It's very, we do that. But you know what? Let our loved ones get sick. Let, you know what, death come knocking at our doors. Let, you know, our bodies, our emotions be racked with pain. Let any of those things happen. Let our kids, you know, decide to walk away from God. Let the problems pile up like leaves around us. And then in that moment, we start to wonder and question, really, God, are you doing this to me? God, are you doing this? Are you orchestrating? God, what is the point in all this? And we start asking these questions. And sometimes... Here's the elephant. We even start justifying it, saying, you know what? Yeah, I really wasn't doing things properly, and I am really not getting it all together. And so this is some way, somehow, I probably deserve this. And so uh, this is some way, somehow, God punishing me. And so I'm going through this because I did this and because of that. And, you know, we just go into the punishment zone. A hardship happens, a depression happens, a downturn in the economy, the inflation rates go high. You know what, God, you're punishing me. And the reality is that hard times come upon all people. And God did not promise to shelter us from every single thing. And the Bible lets us know that absolutely in the case of this man, Hezekiah, that is not what is happening here. The Bible tells us that this was a person who was not being punished by God. He was not a king being punished by the Lord because of X, Y, Z. Listen to how the Bible describes him in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 5 and 6. It says, He trusted in the Lord and the God of Israel so that there was none like him among all of Judah. There was none like, like they, there's been some incredible kings in the history of Israel and Judah. There was David and Solomon, and there's been men. And so, you know, there's been people who were faithful. And yet there has been none like him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah was a great political leader. He was a great spiritual reformer. This was the man who decided, I'm going to change the, the, the governance that my father had, Ahaz. And some of you might have heard of Ahaz and Jezebel and how they terrorized the people and how there was a lot of idolatry happening during that time in that day and under his reign. He is the man who came reforming, tearing down the Asherah poles and breaking down the high places where people would go to worship these idols. He's the one who said, you know what, that good thing that Moses did in the wilderness when you guys were being bitten by poisonous snakes and people were dying. Remember what Moses is? He erected a, 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 a bronze serpent and, and, and he told the people to look upon him through God's instruction. Look upon the serpent and you shall be healed as, as a t- 
type of looking upon Christ in the future, as a type of putting faith in God and God being the one that supernaturally does a healing. When you're bitten by a snake, that you'll be healed. He's the one who said, yeah, that good thing that God did through Moses, I'm going to tear it down. Why? Because the people have started looking at that pole and now they're starting to worship that as an idol and they're circumventing God and ascribing glory to this man-made structure. Yeah, I'm going to tear it down. This is a man who has been faithful to God, who has not racked up, you know, things that require him to be punished. So let's get that elephant out of the room. There's a problem. There's a pain in my life. You know what? It's here because I'm being punished. Now, this doesn't go to say that we don't commit stupid decisions and make errors in judgment. And sometimes we dig our own holes and we then go ahead and jump right in it. And then there's consequences to those. We've talked about that plenty of times on this pulpit. But here is the deal. God is not sending the invasion into Judah or the sickness in Hezekiah's life as punishment. In fact, didn't Jesus, when the disciples asked him about a blind man, a certain blind man, he said, hey, who sinned, his father or his mother or this man or what's going on? Where in the family tree did the sin come in and cause this man to become blind? Jesus says, none of them, none of the above. None of the above. Why? Because this person is only uh, blind for the glory of God because I'm coming in and I'm going to heal him. And others are going to testify and glorify God the Father for the faithfulness and the power and the miracle that comes across through his life. And so with that out of the way, what can we see in this story? If we go back to our text and we look at the story in chapters 19 and chapter 20, We'll learn that when this national crisis came, when the threat of invasion and a dictator that wanted to completely annihilate and, and, and belittle and humiliate the people of God, when that issue happened, Hezekiah prayed. When his health was in jeopardy and he was told that it was deteriorating to the point of death and he would have no future. So therefore, hey, as a olive branch, as a, you know, incredible gift, go prepare the rest of your days. Number your days. Watch your days. Get everything in order because your time is coming. When he hears that, here's a man that also prayed. And more importantly than just him praying, God heard his prayers. God heard his prayers. Take a look here at verses uh, 20 and 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. How many of us want to just hear that? The prayer you prayed about that report of cancer, I have heard heard the prayer you prayed to me about that wayward child who's walked away does not want to be with you does not want to talk to you has been estranged from i have heard how many of us want to hear those words and this is the word of the lord who has spoken concerning him and then we drop down to verse 32 of chapter 19 he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Wow, God, thank you. 
when the tyrant was coming and invasion was evident and imminent, you heard my prayer and you gave me a promise. And now, God, when I cried out to you because my health was deteriorating and my life was numbered, my days had been counted. It tells us here in chapter 20, verse 5, and before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you on the third day and you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you to this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Can somebody say amen? When this man was facing crisis, he turned to God in prayer and God didn't matter the crisis God answered him and heard his cry. I thank you, God, that you answered the cries of a man back then. I thank you, Lord, that if you answer the cries of a person back in the day, you are forever true because your word says that you do not shift like shifting shadows, that you do not change. You're not the son of man that you should lie, nor you are the son of man that you should change your mind. You're not a man. You don't do these things or you don't get better or worse. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Can somebody say amen? So if he heard Hezekiah, can he not hear you? Can he not hear me? The question becomes, what is it that we can do as men and women? What can we learn from his story? What can we learn from his approach? What can we learn from this king in order to better prepare ourselves to have God hear our prayers? And I, I know that we covered just a little while ago uh, a series called Realignment. And we talked about being blo blockades, the blockades to prayers and some of the things that we do. For instance, if we cherish sin in our heart, then God will not hear us. If we do not forgive our brothers and sisters, then God shall not hear us. If we do not treat our loved ones right, then God shall not hear. If we ask with the wrong motives, God shall not hear us. We have all of these things. But hearing in this context is not that he is not able to hear, but it's a reality that he will not bring in the answer that we're expecting or asking. So the, the connection with hearing is not necessarily just the ability to have, you know, auditory sounds reach into his ears, reach into his presence where he is aware of what our needs and circumstances are. It's a matter of him stepping into our issue and answering us. That is the most important. And we got to realize this, that God tell, told us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He told us in the Psalms that he is ever present in our time of need. Jesus Christ, when he was ascending into heaven, he says, stay here, wait for the promise of the Father. I'm gonna send you power from on high. It will empower you to be my witnesses. I will be with you to the very ends of the age. I will be with you. When the Holy Spirit has come, we know for a fact that God is with us, that God is present among us that he is right here. And so it's not a matter of whether he can actually hear it. He, he's right there. And, and if he is present here, if the Holy Spirit abides within this temple, if he abides within this humanly temple, our bodies, our flesh, that, that is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
then I know that he's close enough in order to have the ability to hear us. Amen? He's close enough. But the question is, does he hear us and answer us? Do we experience that type of hearing? Do we hear the prophet come to us and say, I have heard your prayers in X, Y, Z, and here is my answers. That's the question. And so one of the things that I've realized from Hezekiah, and if you look at other men and women of faith in the Bible, if we want God to say in the affirmative that he has heard us, and if we want to declare that God is a God that today is in the process actively of hearing his people, those who cry out to him can be confident and assured that he will answer their cries, that he will be there in the present time of need, then here is one thing that I absolutely see as fact in the scriptures. And that is that intimacy gets you within earshot of God. Intimacy gets you within earshot of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit abides within us, so he is close, but we're not talking just about physical distance here. We're not talking just about, you know, him being as close as our next breath. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here, friends, is that Hezekiah, he held fast to the Lord. He had intimacy with God. This was a man who had intimacy with the Lord. If you want to experience the forever hearing God, then you want him to answer your prayers. You got to draw close to him. Can someone say amen? We have to draw close to the Lord if we're going to say that he hears our prayers. Imagine, okay, that you're constantly trying to have a conversation with a guest that's in your house, with your spouse that, that lives with you, or a child of yours, somebody that's in your home, and you're over here in the kitchen prepping the dinner, and you're, you're getting things ready for coffee, and you're going to have a good time of fellowship, and they're over there in the living room, and, and you don't have one of those, you know, open concepts when you're right there, you know, you know, those nice beautiful open concept type houses where you can be right here and they're right there and you guys are all in the same space, but maybe they're, they're a few rooms away. You know, Micah does this often. He's like over there sitting there watching his uh, Paw Patrol because that's what he loves. And he's like, Daddy, I want milk. And then he starts talking to me about the show and he starts saying, you know, oh, look at what this person's doing and that character is doing. Daddy, did you see this? And I'm like over there and the, and the, the fan is going off in the kitchen, the exhaust as I'm cooking and or I'm washing the dishes. And so I'm dealing with the noise of the, the water. And not, not only that, there's the noise of the TV in the background. And then there might be Charlotte over here crying. And, uh, you know, all these different things. you guys know, right? There's a cacophony of sounds within a house with kids. Yes, it's awesome. And so all of a sudden he's having this conversation, full on blown conversation with me, and I just can't hear him. I, I you know, I, I need to be within the same space, but here's the deal. Take it beyond the space distance. Micah, at that point in time, is so enthralled and so engaged with that show that he doesn't want to stop what he's doing and come tell me what is going on. He doesn't want to, you know, uh, disconnect from what he's experiencing, the thing that might be important to him. Sometimes this will happen and my wife is there on the couch or, or she's over there and I'm on the couch and I'm busy looking something up on my phone or researching something else or figuring out or paying the bills or something. And so she's trying to have a conversation with me and I'm over there too busy, too engaged, too enthralled, too distracted in order to have a conversation with them. Sometimes we want God to hear us and to answer our prayers, but we're too busy doing something else, too busy doing everything else, too busy so engaged with all these other distractions that we allow those things to be what draws us in and what we're close to, and we are so far away from him. We have no intimacy with him. Hezekiah was a man who he cherished 
relationship with God. He wasn't just a person that said, I'm going to physically be at the temple and therefore be close to him. Samuel, when God called out to him, Samuel, three times, he was close, abiding, living, uh, growing up with Eli the priest. He was there living within the structure of the temple mount. He was close to the place where the presence of God was said to abide in that time. Yes, there's all of that, but here's the deal. Hezekiah chose to look out for God's commandments. He chose to learn what God was like. He wanted to find out what made him tick and what ticked him off. He wanted to know how God was a God of blessings and what he blessed and what he didn't bless. He was a man who said, my dad did everything wrong and he was choosing to live in his own way and he put up all these other altars and all these other idols and he did all these other things. But I know that God wants something different from us. So Lord, what is it that you desire? What is it that you love? God, I'm coming to you first. I'm coming to you when I have an issue. Lord, I'm coming to you because I've developed relationship with you. Hezekiah realized that intimacy puts you with an earshot. And if you have intimacy with God, you can be confident that he hears your prayers. If you have a relationship with him, if everything else will be dialed down and it will fade away, then we can know that we can approach God and he will hear our prayers. Are we building rapport with him? Are we spending time with him? Are we pressing in to know what he loves and what he cherishes? There was a song called Hosanna that we used to sing. And there was a point, a refrain in the song that would say, break my heart for what breaks yours. Sometimes we're like, you know what? Well, I just do this nonchalant, callous. We don't even care about what we say, what we do, how we act. And then we wonder. Have we grieved the Holy Spirit? Have we, you know, alienated God from our midst? And so that he, yes, he's there. He abides. He's present. Where can I flee from your presence? There is no place. But the reality is, have we cherished intimacy with him? I've learned that it's a lot easier for us to want to bless people and, and, and to honor people and to do good things on them. We're called to do it anyways, don't get me wrong, but it's a lot easier when there is intimacy and relationship and it's enjoyable to be with each other. It's a lot easier to have that happen. Not only that, intimacy will bring you into the earshot of God, but God's ears is attuned to the humble. You want God to hear your prayers. You want to experience the ever forever hearing God, then maybe a posture of humility would take you far. Can someone's posture be informative? Like stop and think about this. You're in the middle of a deep conversation, an important subject, and you look at the person that you're talking to and they're slouched over and their eyes are barely open. Is posture informative? Does it tell you anything? Can you go off of that? Now, I, I, I understand that, hey, for me, if I sit, I sit in my barber's chair and I start dozing off, sometimes he has to grab my head and say, stay up. You know, the busyness of life and, you know, not sleeping so much at night and, you know, all this. Oh, by the way, my wife does a lot more of that than I do, but I'm just saying the interruptions, they make a difference. And so, you know, I sit in that barber's chair and all of a sudden it's like, man, I want to talk to you. And I do. I ask him how he's doing. I talk about his son. I offer him prayer. We, we engage and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there comes a point after we've, we've, we've talked a little bit, my eyes start drooping and I start going. 
So we, we could be tired, I get it. Life, life is busy and sometimes we are just exhausted and that is no reflection of how we feel, how, how much value we place on, on the person that's speaking to us. You know, we might even doze off in church sometimes. It's okay, no hard feelings, it's all good. But here's the deal. You can learn something about posture. And when it comes to posture in the Bible, when it comes to, you know, the people who came to the Lord and wanted to experience the forever hearing God, those who cried out to him in prayer, there's been a lot of different approaches in which people came to the Lord. A lot of different postures. Some, some of the folks within the Bible we see, they employed, you know, the raising of hands when they came to God. And they rose, raised their hands and they would pray to God, say, Lord, please help me and hear my cry. Some of them would pace back and forth as they're calling out to God. Some of them would just lay themselves prostrate on the ground and just say, Lord, I'm putting my face to the dirt. I'm humbling myself in this place. I want you to hear my cry. Others would stand. Others would sit. And there's a lot of different ways in which we see people approaching the Lord. But one thing that I think we can draw from whatever approach people take is that our posture could tell us the posture of our hearts. That how our physical appearances, how we are physically, you know, putting ourselves up. If, if you know, you just lay down to pray and you fall asleep five seconds later, maybe you need to change your posture saying, I know I'm tired. It's time to go to bed, but I'm going to approach God in prayer. I'm going to stand up because if I fall asleep, then somebody will find out about it. Someone will know and then will realize, hey, it's important for me to get this through and me talk to God. I'm not going to lay down here and just be so comfy and cozy that I'm going to fall asleep and drift away because this is an important moment. The posture of our physical being could be a reflection of our heart's posture towards the Lord. Our mind's posture towards God. Physical posture can reflect that. And so Hezekiah, when he came to God, what did he do? When the threat of invasion came, it says that he went up to the temple and he spread out the letter before God. He spread it out. He put the whole letter, which was uh, an understanding in that ancient time that some of the other tribes and other, the other people and the people groups, they would take their pieces of papers and put it before their deities and in order for that deity to read that issue or that letter or that situation. Hezekiah came and he prostrated before the Lord in the temple and he laid it all out to God. And then he cried out to him. When the threat of him losing his life and his days being numbered, and he's told that he's going to die, what does he do? He turns on his bed, faces the wall, and he cries to God. And he weeps bitterly. Both of these situations show us the heart of a man that is humble to go before God. Not a man that is proud and say, you know what, oh yeah, that's what he said or that's what's going to happen. I don't take that, I don't receive that, this, that, whatever. And, and, and it becomes haughty and goes off in a different direction. He turns and realizes, man, I have no power to change this situation. I have no ability to affect a different outcome. And he gets low before God and cries out to him. Church, humility will open up doors for people. Humility will open up doors for us. If we approach God with a humble attitude, if we will approach him with a broken and contrite heart, I found that most oftentimes those who are broken become humbled people. If you've experienced, you know, a difficulty, a challenge, it has a way to telling you, hey, who's truly in control here?
What really can you do and can't you do? Hezekiah approached God with humility. He turned his face, he prayed, he cried, he approached the Lord, and God is attuned to the humble. He will withhold and reject the proud, but he will exalt the humble. He will take the lowly things of this world, and he will confound the wise with them. God has an ear for those who approach him in humility. And, you know, sometimes, let's just go back. Sometimes we think that we're being punished when hard things come our way. Sometimes we also think that, you know, when we are broken, when we are lost, when we are hopeless, when things are so difficult, that, you know what, woe is me, and we go into a pity party. But could it be that in those moments that we're most ashamed, those moments that we're most broken, those moments that we're most humble, those moments that we're most embarrassed, that those moments are the moments that our Heavenly Father most wants to hear from us? Stop and think about this. A kid that goes and does something silly and becomes embarrassed. My son, if he is called out in front of a public group, he will shut down and he will not talk. He will not answer. He will just kind of go into a shell. So like we, we're aware of this. and We're very careful in how we want to bring correction or discipline into, into his life and how we want to approach him in that. But if he does something silly, I've noticed it sometimes. He'll do something silly and something embarrassing. and He'll go into that mode. In that moment, I don't have judgment for him. In that moment, I'm not looking at him like, oh, look at how he made a mistake. Look at how he, that was so silly. Why did you do that, Micah? No, in that moment, all I want to do is go over to my son and pick him up and say, son, I love you. It's okay. In that moment, I just want to step in and I want to hold him close. It, our Heavenly Father loves humility. And when he sees us in our brokenness and sees us in our pain, sees us, you know, um, doing something that was embarrassing and, 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 and that's just not where we want to be. God so wants to come close and say, I got you. I believe in you. I want you to get out of this. I have better for you. I've seen, you. I've got more things planned out. This will not define you. This is not the end of you. God wants to reach into our situation in the moments of humility because he's a God of intimacy and he wants to just hold us and lead us through. So my challenge is in those moments that you're most embarrassed, that you feel most broken, will you cry out to him? Will you approach him and say, Lord, this is the exact moment that I need to step in to relationship. This is the exact moment that I need to call out to you. Another thing that I see here with this story is that we hear the best answers when we trust God. We hear the best answers when we place our trust in him. Hezekiah demonstrated trust in God. He cried out to him, and when he starts his prayer in chapter 19, he starts talking about the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the control that God has. He starts talking about how God is a God alive and all other idols. Yes, Sennacherib has come and laid waste to all these other nations, seven other nations he has laid waste over and he's demolished their idols. But of course he's demolished their idols because they were made of human hands, of wood and of stone. But you alone, O oh God, you alone are the God of all the earth and among the cherubims you have all the power all the authority and lord hear this man talking just hear him you got this hear this dude lord you 
can see and remember all that I've done for you. Lord, you know it all. When he approached the Lord, he approached him with trust. When that Assyrian army came wiping out everyone in their path, he prayed to God that he would intervene. When that disease was supposed to take him out, that boil was going to be terminal, he prayed to God, and God answered him. And I understand for a fact that Hezekiah, like us, like my, me and time and time again, like maybe many of you have experienced this time and time again, that when we decide to trust in God, he gives us answers that go beyond what we ever expected. He is a God that exceeds our expectations. He doesn't just get a passing grade on his performance review, but he exceeds our expectations time and time again. If we will just cry out to him and say, Lord, I trust in you, we'll come to see him answer our prayers in ways we never imagined. See, I don't know if Hezekiah was expecting when he cried out at the threat of the invasion, Lord, See this man's prayers. Help us, God, in this way. Was he expecting that God would send one angel, one lonely angel, and that one angel would go through the camp of the Assyrians that were trying to besiege the city, and he would wipe out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers? Was he believing that one answer to prayer by one solitary angel could have done all of that? When he was crying out to God about his health, was he expecting that God would say to him, hey, I'm going to heal you. And not only that, hey, let me give you the gift that so many people will never have because so many of us are not prepared for it. I know I'm not. I don't think I am. Let me not only heal you, but let me give you the clarity of knowing the end of your days, so you can prepare the rest of your days. Let me give you the insight on how many years you have to start planning the transition of power and the ascension to the throne for the next person in line and the preparation for the kingdom. Let me give you how many years you can be effective and true in ministry because there's been many men and women who have been, there's been many other uh, kings of, of the nation, but among them, you have been a powerhouse in my hands. So Hezekiah, let me give you the gift of 15 more years that you can plan how to effectively withhold and withstand, fight against this Assyrian king and all of his oppressing forces and everything that is going on. Let me give you the gift of clarity. See, when God answers our prayers, he gives us more. He gives us better. And sometimes I feel like we're praying to God, kind of like the little boy who was going fishing. There was a little boy who was fishing one day, and he's over there casting his lures. He's, he's throwing out the line, and he's catching these fishes. And as he's catching the fishes, he's grabbing the little ones, and he's keeping them, and then he's taking the big ones and throwing them back. And after a while, there's this older fisherman that's sitting there, and he's watching this thing, and he's completely perplexed. He's like, man, we fishermen, we have these stories about the biggest catch we had. And this little boy is taking all of the big fish and throwing them back into the, the, the water. What is going on? What is it? So he goes over to the little boy and he starts asking him, hey son, what are you doing? I've been watching you fishing for a while. I just don't get it. You take the little fish and you keep it and you throw the big fish away. What's going on? Oh sir, let me just tell you. I'm keeping the little fish because my frying pan is this little. And so what am I going to do with the big fish? I can't fry it and I can't eat it. 
So I'm throwing it away. See, church, how many of us, when we're approaching God, we're saying, Lord, I want you to do it this way and that way. We have an expectation of how he can do it, when he's going to do it, um, how far he's going to go, and where he can't or what he can. And we're expecting one thing, and our expectations are way too little. God's saying, I got a bigger fish for you to fry. I got bigger plans for you. I got a bigger blessing that I want to pour out to you. Some of us need to throw away our small little frying pans and say, let me get the big skillet. And that's God, I want you to come and step in and do something. Lord, I don't see how this is possible. I don't know how you can do this. I don't know how you're going to change this circumstance around. But God, I'm going to put my trust in you because you are enthroned with, between the cherubim. You are the God of all the universe. You have created this earth. You tell the sea where to go. You tell the stars their names, each one at a time. God, you keep me breathing, alive. And well. I'm going to trust in you and say, Lord, do your will in my life. And let me tell you, church. Only those who say, I trust in God, will ever pray this prayer, your will be done. Only Jesus in that garden, when he believed in the Lord and he knew the Father in intimacy and he approached him with humility, he alone could say that very prayer, Lord, I want this cup to pass, but nevertheless, your will be done. Some of us are not ready to pray a prayer like that because we don't want his will being done. We want our will being done and our way being exacted and, and our measure being dished out. We want that and not exactly what he has. But let me tell you, church, he answers way better than we could ever imagine. As Paul says, to he who can do immeasurably more. To him be all the glory and all the power. Amen. To him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine. He's a God that answers better than we ever anticipated. Hezekiah trusted God. And he wasn't a man that was without faults. He had his failures. But in these two occasions, two different situations, and I see this time and time again in the scriptures, when a woman with an issue of blood approached Jesus with her humility and drawing close for intimacy, not just being proximity within God, but drawing close with intimacy, wanting to know the Father, believing that he can do what he can do alone. If I just touch the hem of his garments, if we trust in God, he can do exceedingly abundantly what we can ask or imagine. And I'll invite the team to come back up as we wrap up. Up, but here's what I want you to just close out with. Have you connected with this God who is forever hearing? I, I refuse to believe that if God was able to answer a prayer at one point in time, he's not able to answer it today. I'm not of the kind of the belief that God was operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a season and it's all ceased. I'm not a cessationist. I believe that God is for today, that healing is for today, that God's guidance is for today, that God's plans are for today, that God speaks this very day, that God still sees us because he's our El Roy, Jehovah, who's the God who sees us. I believe that he is present and active this day. And so I'm choosing to engage with him and to commune with him and have a relationship with him. So the question is, have you connected with this God? Have you placed your trust in the all hearing God? who maybe is going to answer your prayer in his time and his season. When Hezekiah prayed and he asked God to deliver him, 
in chapter 19. The prophet Isaiah, verse 20, then came and sent message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord of Israel says. I've heard your prayers about King Sennacherib, and the Lord has spoken this word against him. And there are verses upon verses upon verses of the prophecy talking about what was happening in the day and what would happen to this king eventually. But he goes on to say that his armies will not enter, that he will not even shoot an arrow. He will not march outside the gates with the shields. He will not build banks of earth against the walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road in which he came. He will not enter and God will defend. And he goes on and he talks. And if you read that prophecy, it even declared the end of days for the king of Assyria. When God answered that prayer to Hezekiah, he was living in that moment. He saw God's deliverance and the fulfillment of prayer partially. But there came a day 20 years later where God worked out his plan in the life of this tyrant king and his two very sons conspired against him and betrayed him and killed him. And finally, the word that the prophet Isaiah spoke 20 years prior that declared the outcome in the future of this king was finally come to pass. See, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we might have our plan and our timing, but he has his desire in his way. Back in 2008, nine, I don't even remember the day, when I opened up that official court letter and I read the final divorce judgment, those words cut deep in my heart. Although I had been separated for half a year already, the reality of my situation finally settled into my heart. And this sense of loss, this sense of, 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 of anger and, and frustration and really mostly embarrassment, embarrassment and shame just bubbled up within me. These pangs of loneliness just kind of came back to the surface and fear gripped me. Man, 22 years old, 23 years old, whatever I am right now, and I'm already a big failure in this aspect of life. I already have this on my record. It's on my file. It's part of my life and my history. On that day, while wrestling with all of these feelings and all these emotions, I prayed to God. And I pray to God, bearing my emotions, bearing my pain, and just being honest and transparent with God because I, I, he knows it all anyways. Before the words are on our lips, he's perceived them from afar. I just laid it all out before God and I didn't understand how things could have ended up the way they did. Yes, there were mistakes made, bad choices and all that stuff, which led to that moment. But why didn't God knock some sense into us? Why didn't he just kind of like, you know, bop me over the head and say, man, you're going the wrong way. Just don't do this. Don't do that. Like fix this. Pay attention to that. Like, you know what? Nurture this and don't nurture that and all these different. Why didn't God just knock some sense into us? I pray and I ask God, heal my broken heart, God. Just heal my broken heart. Restore my hope. I feel hopeless. I feel hopeless. Should I write off love? Should I just be resigned to being, hey, I'm not going to try this again because this is way too hard. I don't want to put myself in the same position again. I was going through all those things and asked God, heal my heart. God, restore my hope. 
because I didn't want to walk through life being a broken person. I did not want to walk through life being a bitter person, pessimistic about marriage, you know, antagonistic to all those who are in their beautiful honeymoon phase and be like, yeah, 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 and then start spewing negativity at them or, or not trusting or believing or encouraging or, or hoping for the best for them. I did not want to go through life that way, so I prayed, God, heal me of my brokenness. Take away these emotions and these feelings. I don't want to write off love. I don't want to write off marriage. So I pray, Lord, have your way in my life. I do not see how marriage right now is sustainable. And Lord, if you were to do something drastic in my life today, I'm not ready for it. So I prayed, God, please take away the emotions and take away the desire for me to be in a relationship. For as long as I remember, I've been dating somebody. I had somebody on my side. And maybe that's not healthy. I need to heal. Work in me, Jesus, and take away those feelings and bring them back when you feel I'm ready. I prayed that prayer. Wanting truly to step into the future that God had for me. Now, I wasn't doing everything right and I wasn't living right. But I remember praying that prayer as I looked at that letter. And I'm so glad I prayed it. I'm so glad I approached God in that season and drew me closer to him, knowing that, yes, he is the God who abides within me, but man, I'm so far away from him, I have no intimacy. I'm glad I prayed that prayer as I saw that season and I drew close to God. I wanted to be with him and I opened up my heart in humility. People knew my failures. I started telling people about how I went through that story and that issue. And I allowed God to do the work in my life. And I'm glad I shared my brokenness with him and trusted him to do something in my life. As you can see today, I dedicated my second child. Eight years after that day, I, you know, end up at an altar one more time. Three years ago, I had my son and just this year I had my daughter and God restored to me something better than I thought possible. And he's given me something that I'm absolutely grateful for every single day. And I want to cherish and hold on to because God is a God that goes beyond our wildest imaginations and gives us better than our expectations. I thought I didn't have a future. I would never be married once again, but here I am. And then not only that, but God says, hey, even though you've had this bad history and you've had this in your record, you know what? I'm still going to call you and use you to be a hope into other people's lives. And I'm going to allow you into, into this opportunity and path of ministry. I remember having to sit in front of an elder board and they're asking me questions about that and then to just be encouraged by the grace of God as, as these men and women affirmed God's calling on my life and I would look back to that big D, that scarlet D that I would have on my forehead and I say, God, thank you that you've restored me and gave me a chance. See, God is a God that answers you. So I want you to stand with me today. He's a God that's answering prayers all the time. And, and he is the God who sees your issue and your need. He's speaking. He wants to come and bring you his plan and purpose. Will you put your trust in him? 
Will you cry out to him today? Say, Lord, I need you to step in and intervene in my situation. God, I don't know the timing of how you're going to work it out. God, I don't know the reason and the method. I know for a fact that pain's going to come my way. But God, I'm going to choose to trust in you and ask you to be the restorer of good things in my life. That you would work out good things in the midst of all the painful things. That you would, Lord God, fulfill your plans and purposes. Because let me tell you one thing that he's already done for you while you were yet a sinner. He answered a prayer that you didn't even know you were praying. He bridged the gap that you would never be able to bridge. He reconciled the chasm between sin and holiness. And he allows us to have relationship with God the Father to experience this good God who wants to pick us up and bind us up in the hard times, who wants to be there present in our times of need, to give us peace that surpasses understanding and a future that is true and purposeful, an assurance that is tried and true. If you've never come to know this God who's ever hearing our needs, Today could be the day that you change that completely. If you've walked away from the faith and you've said, you know what, God, you've not answered my prayer, so I'm writing you off. Today's a day to reconcile that because God is actually working it out. The final page in your story has not been written in your experience. He's written it and he sees what it's going to be like. So trust in him today and say, Lord, I need you come back to faith and ask him to step into your life and, and invite him to have intimacy with you and expose yourself to him. All of your hurts and hangups, all of your issues and sins, just put it before him because he knows anyways and just allow him to minister to you. Trust that he knows you and sees you and wants the best for you and allow him to take you on this journey. I guarantee you the end result will be better than you ever expected. Can you close your eyes with me? Father, I pray that, Lord, no matter the circumstances that are in this place, Lord Jesus, and the real pain that people are experiencing this morning, I just pray that your incredible love, your incredible presence would be, Lord God, richly, abundantly, Lord God, overflowing in every heart and every life. That, Father, you would beckon them, Lord Jesus, again and again to come closer to you, Lord, to expose themselves to what you have in store. Lord, answer prayers here this morning. Lord, you've answered and brought us healing before. You've, Lord God, raised the dead to life. Father, you've brought healings, Lord God, of creation into people's lives, like the man with the withered hand. Lord, you have restored relationships and, Lord God, renewed purpose like you called Peter after his failure. Father, I pray that you would move upon lives here today and orchestrate your plan, your incredible plan inside of every heart. For those who don't know you, Jesus, I pray, let that be such a jarring, unsatiable yearning within their lives that they have to do something about it today. That they have to, Lord God, step in now. I pray in your precious name. Amen.